0: Welcome to another episode of Chatty
1: Broads with Becca and Jess. Hey, Broads. Hey, Broads. What's going on? So Jess <laughs> is like hyperventilating right now because yeah. she's so excited. I'm
2: so excited. I've been wanting to All get... All I hear
1: ever about is just sex switch this, sex, sex switch, switch that. that. Like, okay, who is this sex switch bitch?
2: I... <laughs> I have been waiting, and in fact, I um, have been emailing back and forth with this wonderful woman for a hot minute trying to get her on because I heard her on a podcast, and then I read her book, and then I'm like, if I don't get her on, I'm going to freak out, okay? And I know this is someone that all of you broads are going to immediately fall in love with, and... Also so many things under the sun that we can talk about.
1: Yeah, I think I think the cool thing from what I know so far about okay, we're sitting and talking about Jamie Lee here as a she's she's <laughs> we'll here. at Jamie Lee. It's fun
2: to sit here like I'm in as the room, we're talking about you. pretend like I'm not. This is really cool. Don't say anything yet. Well, do the thing. Jamie Lee Finch. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited. Well,
1: as we to the things we talk about the most is um, evangelical upbringings mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny because now I'm like I feel like with all the talking we've done I'm like, well I'm processed through it And I'm ready to move on and literally never talk about My Christian upbringing again You mm-hmm. know, you kind of get to that point Same. Where you're like, <laughs> I could like actually never talk about it mm-hmm. again And be totally fine uh, And the other thing we talk a lot, a lot about is sex And also we've talked a lot about how those two uh, Things Interact with each other And all of that And I think that that's if I'm correct, you'd be better at talking about this, like where your work sort of exactly all began. Exactly my
2: lane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So comfortable in that lane. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> so Jess yeah.
1: super stoked and I'm super stoked too. Although I know a lot less, so I'm excited to dive I'm to so dive excited in. to
3: meet you. I know we've been emailing back and forth. Yes. For months. For months. And I, listen, the obsession doesn't just go one way because when I knew I was coming back out again, I emailed you the moment I booked my trip and I was like, If you guys are available, I'm coming back since it didn't work out in November. So that
2: email. Sweet. I was like, as soon as I got it, I'm like, girl, you're booked. Done. Done.
3: Where are you hailing from? Nashville, Tennessee. So like Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. which is an ironic place for me to live, I guess.
2: Yes, because uh, Jamie, you call yourself a sex witch. Yes, ma'am. Which I'm sure the title of this episode is going to include because come on clickbait yes. everyone's going to want to mm-hmm. know what that is yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you want to kind of give a little bit of a bio of like what you do what that means before we dive into how action, you got what that started means? doing what you what you do yes, yes. All that.
3: yep um <clears throat> well it's it's interesting because it's something so my relationship to witchcraft and then specifically sex magic is something that i was interested in and then developed a relationship to and kind of my personal practice for many years before it became something that I was kind of marketed by or mm. with, mm-hmm. um, and that actually was, so it kind of feels like two different journeys. Like I have this like deeply important, deeply personal spiritual relationship to sex magic and my witchcraft. And then there's the whole like, oh, my business card say sex witch. And it's on yeah of yeah. My yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. But they feel, they feel congruent in a way that, um, doesn't feel con- like conflicting at all.
1: You're being true to yourself yeah. while also like being able to brand and market yourself, which
3: is mm-hmm. kind of perfect. And wasn't my idea at all to yeah. be honest, because I don't know shit about that, but my, um, so how it ended up being something that I was kind of, marketed by is, um, well, the irony here is my ex, uh, for my last relationship, I, I had mentioned something to him. I don't remember how it came up, but something about sex magic and, it was literally after when we first started dating after a sexual experience where he looked at me and he was like, you really are a sex witch, aren't you? Which is like great feedback. But I was like, yeah, "What everyone you. wants to hear in my
2: reviews, honey. I told you I
3: was, um, that's, again, it's not just like a catchy thing I say. So just to get the clicks, but, um, and then I, I ended up talking about that. Oh, that's what happened. I made a joke to a friend of mine about how I should get business cards printed up that say sex, Witch" on them. And then I was visiting this friend in St. Louis and she was like, we can make that happen. And so Mm -hmm. I hand printed, I'll give, I have some with me. I'll give some to you. I hand printed these, um, business cards on a letter press from like the 1860s that she had in her apartment. And they say Jamie Lee Finch sex, Witch," and This same person, this friend of mine is the person who designed and built my website. So when she was planning on designing it, it was kind of creating everything for it. I was ready for the joke to just end there. And she was like, no, we have to keep this terminology. So it's really luckily, thank fuck, she was like, We're keeping it. Yeah. Because I was like, That's gonna ostracize people, that's gonna be weird and I don't know why I was afraid of that. But it might, but it also
1: interests that's I feel like it it keeps the right people, right? One
3: (laughs) thousand percent. It draws the right people in and Mm -hmm. it pushes the right people out. And I also feel like this is a unique time where you know twenty twenty you know yeah. twenty nineteen i think i I think I had it on my website beginning in twenty eighteen, and I'm really struck by the fact that at no other point would it be like a cute fun thing for people to be like, "Oh, you're a sex witch, that's awesome. Tell me more." Mm-hmm. whereas previously for most of the time that humans have been alive, that would have been something that you couldn't have honestly branded yourself with and that
1: yeah gone well or so. even like 10 years ago maybe wasn't so like maybe it was more niche and yes. then now it sort of is like a cute yeah like tumblr sort of thing like oh my god she's a sex witch right. even though it sounds like your work goes so much deeper than that but yes. you know it's like a thing now where people are like i'm a witch i'm gonna cast spells
3: yeah mm-hmm. well and even that and i know a lot of witches who are upset by the fact that the
1: occult is like mainstream
3: here's the thing though would we prefer the alternative right no i wouldn't at least and Mm -hmm. i also just think witchcraft is it's anti-authoritarian in nature and so i don't really know how much i trust or respect someone who looks at someone else and says you're doing witchcraft wrong i'm like i don't think that's your job to say um so and i get it when something's important to you it matters and you want to protect it and you want it to be sure special and yes. Sure. But I, I definitely think that, well, that I'm in an interesting position with that too, because I do want people to know that I take my craft seriously. Yes. And also I'm like, Oh yeah, sex switch for the clicks. Like it's a just, it's an interesting juxtaposition. But so. also
1: even <clears throat> if something's watered down, it's people are still exposed to it yes. where they wouldn't have been able to before. That's mm-hmm. totally it.
3: That's mm-hmm. totally it. And it's there have been, good. A lot of people that I've heard feedback from, um, particularly on social media, who are like, I heard you on this podcast and it was so relaxed or like the way that you've talked about this or branded this was so, um, I guess, yeah, relaxed or chill or just like personable Mm -hmm. that it got me interested in what you were talking about in a way that maybe would have felt assaulting or unsafe to me before. Mm -hmm. And now I've discovered something I really love. Which is just
2: that's really cool too. Yes. So yeah. So can we hit the um, the witch piece first before mm-hmm. we dive into uh, the sex part? Because mm-hmm. I want to go back even a little bit yeah. further.
1: I'm curious, like, uh, when did whatever it is you do become what you do? Like- well, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Like, the, okay. like the
2: witch piece. Like, yeah. when when did that like become part of who you are? Like, yeah. have you always felt yeah. that way? Or
3: yes, um, and most of my life I just couldn't admit that to myself. Um and what does I've, that mean? Yeah. I well, I like you, was raised in a religious tradition that not only was I taught and told that like there are certain ways to interact with God that are acceptable. And then there's plenty of ways that are unacceptable. Or like there's this one God and mm-hmm. it's our God and we're on his team and he's on ours and that's the end of the story. Um, but I I talked about this before. I what I remember from childhood is this strange feeling of I wanted so badly to succeed and be like perfect in that world. And also I was so interested in witches and so interested in witchcraft and I was super sheltered. But what I remembered, I think, I think what happened was, is in my public school, there were like Halloween decorations that went up one year. I think it was in the kindergarten. And so the only thing I knew about witches is that they had black cats. And so I begged my parents for a black cat. And I got one for Christmas that year. And like it felt like every year or like as I got older, there was this um, like it was knocking on my door and I was super interested in it. But I was also inside of this religious tradition that, yeah, again, not only said like you have to follow these rules, but was specifically saying things like witches worship the devil and like the stakes are really high to not be interested in doing Mm -hmm. any of that.
2: Yeah. No, I know from like where I came from, if I would have ever even we didn't really celebrate Halloween. We had like fall festival. Um, but even if I would have done harvest festival and been like, I want to dress up as a witch. One oh, of my yeah. parents would have been like, you know, had a mm-hmm. heart attack. Yeah. So that was definitely not something that was definitely
3: not even a Halloween costume. That's allowed if you even mm-hmm. celebrate mm-hmm. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think my interest in it just grew in a way that was, I mean, I had to keep it a secret from everyone. And then again, I was afraid of my own curiosity towards it. Um, because I wanted so badly to succeed, succeed, or to to be safe by being perfect inside of the evangelical world. Um, and so really after years and years and years, that led me to, um, more, more embodied expressions of, worship within evangelicalism, which makes so much sense to me now that I was like deeply longing for a connection with my own body, but the tradition I was raised in didn't have one. So eventually I was like in this charismatic where we dance for hours. Mm And, and I, um, I think what really happened when I look back is that being involved in that evangelical expression took me to, I was, I joined a church slash cult in England. Um, and my ancestors are, from like, I'm like 97% fucking Celtic. Like (laughs) uh, there's very little in me that is otherwise. So I have Celtic pagan ancestors and something happened uh, that I would describe now is when I went back to the land of my ancestors, something woke up and I came back from England, much longer story you can hear on plenty of other podcasts, but my relationship to evangelicalism fell apart pretty quickly after I came back from England. And when I didn't have the the responsibility to that religion anymore, or the fear of like doing it perfectly, I was allowed to become curious about the thing that my entire childhood and adolescence, I'd been like, I really want to look at that thing. I really, Mm -hmm. and I, and I think too, when it comes to witches, um, the thing that was so alluring to me when I was a kid is that even though all of the witches you see in like movies when you're younger, they're all like the bad guy, like they're evil, Mm -hmm. but they were powerful. And I felt so disempowered both in my religious tradition growing up and also in my home um, being a child experiencing abuse that I, it makes me really aware that what I was longing for was to feel safe by feeling powerful. And so when I came out of my relationship to evangelicalism and just basically had um, the terrifying, option of just exploring what I wanted to I it took me a little while to warm up to it but I started looking into um you know having Celtic roots like looking into like um the witchcraft of my ancestors uh, pagan practices um and then I came across a friend who she actually lives here she's in LA her name's Arden Lee um who introduced me to this book called the Magdalene Manuscript and it's all about sex magic and it's actually this channeled This man, Tom Kenyon, he channeled this book from Mary Magdalene, and it's all about her
2: sex life with Jesus, essentially. Um, I think I remember hearing about that, and that like caused a huge Oh, I can imagine only imagine. (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. So, but that's where I first learned about sex magic. Okay. Um, or even first learned that term. And since you know, and and I've talked about this in other podcasts and stuff too. My relationship to sexuality was something that was always very present and felt very conflicting inside of my purity culture background. There was something to this intersection of uh, witchcraft, magical practice, and then also an integration of your sexuality that I was like, "What is this? I need to know more about this." So that's how when I started how learning old you around um, that time. That was, I think, twenty sixteen. Okay. So how not that relatively
1: then? not that long not ago. that long ago. Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: no, I only left the evangelical church officially at the very very beginning of 2015. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So it has not really been that long, but it feels like I was waiting to leave for forever. So by the time I was gone, I was like, oof, that was a weird time, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. it's good to be out. So, yeah. So, learning about that, um, I mean, it's it's so it sounds so strange and intense and weird it's really not that strange like sex magic itself i have
1: no idea
2: what it is Mm -hmm. yeah well even just like yeah can you explain just the basis Mm -hmm. of it because i I know like this much from hearing you on other podcasts and that's it
3: okay so you know how with with witchcraft and with like any kind of magical practice really what you're trying to do whether you're using a tool like tarot or crystals or sigil magic or candle work or whatever you're using What you're really trying to do is to create this partnership between your intention and your action in the world. And what you're really trying to do is like cultivate and raise, I guess, yeah, cultivate, cultivate your intention in such a focused manner, um, and and put that intention in the direction of what you most want to see and manifest in the world. And then you are making an agreement with yourself to take action in the direction of what it is that you want to manifest. Okay. And these tools are things like I just did some really intense spell work a couple days ago to like try and manifest something in the next year. And again, it sounds, I don't know what people's impression of witchcraft and magic is, but it really is just, it's helpful for me to get clear on what I want. It's helpful for me to tell myself the truth. And especially after coming out of years of an evangelical background where you were just kind of at the mercy of what God picked for you, it is, it feels so good to not only be able to make decisions about what my desires are, but then use this ritual and use this spell work to send the message to myself that this matters to me and I'm going to be mindful of it. And I'm going to be intentional about, uh, going after what it is that i want
1: okay so sex magic wait hold on i just wanted to pause for a uh-huh. second because i think i have a lot of misconceptions about yeah. like witchcraft and magic yeah. then because yeah. yeah i think that maybe my under base of the understanding was like that actually it's sort of what you described uh what you were describing with the church of sort of like, I'm going to say what I want. And then like the other side, the Mm -hmm. dark side, I'm Mm -hmm. letting it go to them. Uh So like almost the same Mm. kind of action that you were describing with the church, but like releasing to like the dark side Mm -hmm. instead of like the God side. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's sort of what I've always had in my mind. So maybe you could just describe like, I, so that's really interesting. I've never heard it like described like that. And I think I have a lot of misconceptions and probably Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners are too about what that actually means to do like spell work or magic or Mm -hmm. witchcraft. Mm
3: -hmm. Um, So one of the things that I really, one of the best ways I could like sum up. um, Yeah. One of the best things I could say about that is um, one of the things I do in my relationship to spell work is at the end, like before closing a circle, just saying this or something better. And to me, that sends a, a, a signal to myself that I'm I'm not I don't get to control this like that's that's the interesting thing I think that I hear you saying about uh, like the misconceptions relating to witchcraft and magical practice is it's almost like we're trying to like create this potion and control our worlds mm-hmm. and really my relationship to to ritual and, and witchcraft reminds me of how little I am in control but how powerful I actually get to be in the midst of how little I'm actually in control of and so it helps me yeah it just helps me tell the truth to myself but then also the point is to kind of tell yourself the truth about what it is you want, about what it is you need, and then let it go. And that I think is the hardest part, but the most important part of saying, I've done what I can do to be honest about what matters to me. And now I just have to, I don't know if I like the language of like trust the universe, but sure, maybe that works for someone. But for me, it's not attached to the outcome. I need to be unattached to the outcome Mm -hmm. um, in order for whatever exists out there that might want to give me what i want or what i need to give me what i want or what i need right
2: because i feel like i I feel like most people can or know the fundamental beliefs of uh some of these larger religious practices Mm -hmm. but i don't feel like i even know truly what the fundamental belief if you could would call it that Mm -hmm. would be of someone who practices witchcraft yeah
1: Yeah, i was curious about like what's the relationship or belief between like uh like spirit like spirits or spiritual forces outside of yourself Mm -hmm. or like uh, you know, is there, is there polytheism or like, is, I, mm-hmm. I think I'm having a hard time distinguishing like what the belief is about that. And is, does that differ for each person? Well,
3: yeah. So that's witchcraft? kind of why you might be having a hard time to distinguish okay. it is because yeah. I guarantee you there's like, Uh, handfuls of like self-identified witches who are listening to this right now who are hearing me talk about my relationship to the practice who are like well that's not how it is for me Mm -hmm. or that's not how I do it or or I practice differently or I have a relation I know I mean I know Christian witches Like Mm -hmm. people who are involved in, or who are, um, yeah, in the Christian, they're not evangelical, of course, but like they have a relationship to the Christian story and to maybe like the mysticism present there. And that is a fundamental part of their witchcraft. That's not how I do it. So therefore the way I express uh, my relationship to my practice or my ritual is going to be so different than theirs. So it really, it's a hard thing to nail down. On purpose, because it's so not fundamentalist. And I think for those of us whose brains developed inside of a fundamentalist religious mm-hmm. paradigm, it takes some, it's, I love, like, what you're like, I'm having a hard time, like, nailing it down and really figuring it out. Yeah,
1: but I, f- I feel the same way sometimes about Christianity, too, yeah. when I'm talking to people and I'm like, but what I am i don't get a grasp of what your concept of God is yeah. or like what, you know, Yeah, and some of what you're describing, too, I was like, OK, I do know like a couple people with really healthy relationships mm-hmm. to Christianity who yes. practice their Christianity in a really similar way that you're describing your relationship yeah. to witchcraft. Yes, absolutely. So it's like yep. kind of just is whatever you're we're coming to it all with. We're just
3: telling each other stories about what we think is going on and hopefully at our best we're finding the rituals and ceremonies and practices and communities that most resonate that reflect, with us. Yeah. And hopefully we're giving ourselves the permission to move in and out of a relationship to a story system when it's no longer serving us. And that's what I think is so difficult about any sort of religious paradigm that's fundamentalist in nature is that mm-hmm. it says if you if you arrive here, you have to stay here.
1: This is the right place to be. Yes.
3: Right. right yeah. <laughs> and and Pam Grossman said something uh, recently on social media that I thought was just so great. There is someone wrote some article about how they're like, I did all these witchcraft practices for two weeks and here's what I found. And it was like, really just like,
2: it it was a bummer <laughs> thing to read, but Pam yes, Grossman, who wrote, it's like, no, yeah, it's like, no, it's like a excuse Cosmo me? article about like, I dressed like Kim Kardashian for two weeks and this is how people <laughs> respond. I'm <an> expert now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's gross. <laughs> um, but, but again, like Pam, I just
3: loved, so Pam wrote, um, the book waking the witch. Um, and she said something. She's like, well, Cool. Well, we're not recruiting, so that's fine <laughs> like it witchcraft doesn't care if you want it or need it, it or with you, it does. because mm-hmm. it's exactly exactly let it be yours if you want it to be but witchcraft itself and like other witches we're not we're not recruiting we're not proselytizing right. it's, we don't yeah, have it's not a dog a in this space exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. we're not witnessing to you yeah. we're not we're not handing you tracks and trying to get you saved like and that again is a thing that I think a lot of people don't quite understand is you can just let something work for someone else and even if it doesn't work For you, That's fine. Like, I don't need anyone to validate my relationship to witchcraft, uh, by way of whether or not it's something they enjoy or love. I'm like, cool, find what works for you. I'm going to find what works for me and I don't need to share my gospel with you. But if you're interested, like happy to talk about it. But I just think that that whole idea of like, when you find something that works for you, it's supposed to be the thing that works for everybody else is actually the, the core problem with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any sort of religious or spiritual practice. So.
1: Is, is there ever an issue then with people, uh, maybe viewing witchcraft for you as like a hobby rather than like a way of being? Yeah, they might. That's fine. Again, <laughs> yeah,
3: I'm like, cool. like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that lives in your consciousness, not in mine. Like that, mm-hmm. if you've decided that story about me, there's very little I can do with that. And I don't really need need to do anything with it. Like the people that I know and, and know the best and love the most and I'm loved by the most in this world, not only know that this is something that I do take seriously, but also that's like not the reason why they're in relationship with me or love me. It's like an aspect of my being. Mm-hmm. But if I were to be like, Hey, tomorrow, like I'm not a witch anymore. They're like, cool. Well, you're still Jamie. So I still love you. So yeah, so I'm, I'm positive. And again, I'm positive that even when I'm talking about my relationship to how I practice and what I practice, there's probably there, there's someone who I was learning from for a little bit, a couple of years ago, and he's like a triple Virgo or something. So it was Mm -hmm. all about like the letter. And he also didn't have like, um, authoritarian, fundamentalist, evangelical, religious, trauma in his background. He found his way to witchcraft and he was super young and it's always been his thing. Mm-hmm. And he was, he wanted to stress to me that it's really important to do these things and to do them this exact way and do it the right way. And my whole body was like, that feels too much. Like someone's telling me I have to wake up on Sunday and go to church when I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And so my relationship to how I practice now for that person, he might think what I do is unacceptable and how I do it but that doesn't mean it isn't legit. And that doesn't mean that it isn't real to me. And that's the part where I'm like, I don't get to tell someone what does or does not, what is, or is not supposed to work for them. And I would hope that they would extend that same respect to me, but I also can't make them do that. No. So yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, let's pause one second because then I do have one more question about witchcraft specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the deal broads. Um, Fun fact, I'm on my period right now, and the last thing I feel like doing is getting into a pair of stiff, uncomfortable slacks. But the thing is, Beck and I have a very important meeting tomorrow. Exciting we new do. things, rods, very exciting things, and I feel like I need to dress sharp um and professional, so what's a girl to do? Want to look sharp, but I'm also uh don't want to be uncomfortable. I just want to feel my best presenting something. Well, guess what? Now you can have stylish, professional, and comfortable clothes with Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants.
1: Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants are the most comfy. They're perfectly stretchy, and they stay wrinkle-free, which is a huge huge plus that you don't think about until you're running late for work and you're stressing to iron your slacks. And then you're like, "Where where's the iron? I don't oh. remember how to iron.
2: I cannot tell you how many times when I was working at the PR firm that I would get come in with perfectly iron pants ready for all my client meetings and then halfway through the day I would be a completely disheveled wrinkled mess because I was just sitting down for a few <sighs> hours. Um, what was I supposed to do? Like stand up straight in a corner like a tree and no. wait for my meetings? No, not possible. Not going to happen. But with Beta Brands Pants You don't have to worry about that anymore.
1: No, and they make my butt look good. Mm -hmm. And whatever (laughs) your style, Beta Brand has the pants to match. You can choose from dozens of colors, patterns, cuts, styles. They have something for everyone from boot cut to straight legs, skinny, cropped, and more. And they even have a pair with eight yes eight pockets think of all the work things and snacks and paper clips you can fit in there oh, and nice <laughs> now they also offer premium denim with the same flexibility and comfort as yoga pants they think of everything at beta brand
2: and right now our listeners can get 20% off their first order when you go to beta slash chatty that's 20% off your first order at beta slash chatty millions of women agree these are the most comfortable pants you'll ever wear to work go to beta slash chatty for 20%. 20% off well beta
1: brand offers tons of different options but do you know what industry doesn't offer a lot of options surprisingly the hair care industry mm. sure there are endless companies and products but they're always the same few options when it comes to shampoo and conditioner you've got options for dyed hair more volume curly straight or moisture but that's usually about it but we found a company that creates mm-hmm. custom hair care products for each individual not just hair types it's pros
2: rods i have to be honest with you i have never seen anything quite like pros they create custom shampoo and conditioners based on your personal hair analysis and their algorithm you take this test online and the details of the questions that they were asking about your hair was phenomenal uh this online consultation dove into Every conceivable factor that affects my hair um, and its health. And at the end, they create this custom product just for me and explain the specific ingredients in mine and why those ingredients were necessary and beneficial for my optimal hair health. Um, hey, they have over 50 billion formula combinations, 50 billion. And the result is a unique blend of ingredients that caters to your every strand and fo- follicle. Um, I've talked a lot about all my hair loss and the struggle uh, that that the hair loss has been for me. Um, And I truly haven't found a shampoo and conditioner that I love since that started happening years ago. The shampoo didn't give me enough volume or the conditioner would give it too much moisture so it would thin it out. I can say with complete honesty, Prose is the first shampoo and conditioner that I've had since my hair condition that has left my hair exactly like I would want it to be. Uh, My hairstyle even mentioned it to me the other day when I got a haircut oh nice so good. she I was like know. what shampoo and conditioner?" yeah you she was using? like girl your hair's looking like full and she good was, it's that was pros. like it's pros thank you so much and
1: pros <laughs> stands by clean and responsible beauty because every formula is sustainably sourced and cruelty free they can accommodate virtually any preference including vegan gluten-free and more and if you're not 100% positive pros is the best hair care you've had they will take the products back no questions asked pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it get a free consultation and 20% off your first order today, go to pros.com slash chatty. That's dot E.com slash chatty for a free consultation and 20% off. Okay. So Jamie, yeah, what was your specific question? Now my I'm specific curious. question
2: is like, obviously we have all these preconceived notions when we hear the word which, um, and I just wanted to like get a little maybe nugget historically. Why is it that witches were so demonized for so long. Like, obviously, we know the tales of, you know, from, like, Christian perspective, but, like, truly, historically. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, this little thing called patriarchy. (laughs)
2: Um,
3: Okay, great book. Uh, Witches, Sluts, and Feminists. Uh, It's by Kristen Soleil, if that's how you actually say her last name. Um, Which goes in a little bit to this. Again, it's even hard the overarching answer is patriarchy but okay. the spe- the specifics of, of how and why that happened even that history has largely been erased it's just this thing that we just assume like culturally like witches are workers of the devil and it's right. just always been that way and the the more the really fascinating thing is that in in reality it um typically Uh, well, again, even saying typically, um, it's a bit multifaceted. So one of the reasons why that happened is, um, which is gender. So women typically have been kind of like, um, for most of human history have been the folks, uh, in Not in charge of, but responsible for healing um, or responsible for bodies, caretaking of bodies. Let's put it that way. Um, So everything from being an herbalist to being a midwife, um, typically women were the people who were um, caring for bodies. And patriarchy comes along and is like, hey, we're going to train men in how to care for bodies and then we're also going to make it something that's financially inaccessible for most people um and then you had these uh these women who had experienced um you know generations of being trained by their mothers or grandmothers or great grandmothers in the like the manner of healing that was kind of passed down in their family lineage who looked at that and said okay uh you are basically trying to make um make it so that your body being cared for is something that is not accessible to certain people in the world. And that's unacceptable to us. And so that's why you had this thing that happened where you go from like, um, women who are herbalists and and herbalism just was medicine to like, Oh, they're making potions and they're witches. Um, so, and then you also, that's one facet of it. And then a, a different facet of it is, um, anytime you had a woman who, uh, let's say there's just certain things that were expected of her socially that she didn't adhere to, uh, whether she remained remained unmarried or maybe was the person in her family that like inherited the family, like lands or something like that. Um, that was a challenge to the system. That was a challenge to the way in which, um, this hierarchical, uh, hierarchical, I don't know which way you say that word. Um, (laughs) but the way that it was set up to like we have like maleness at the top that is in, that like suppresses like femaleness. So, um, and again, this is such an oversimplification, but it's basically any time that you had a situation where we weren't listening to what we were told that we should be doing. Okay. Um, it's just, it became this thing that it's just, it's so, It's very successful when you have that combined with the religious fervor um, or like the um, the fear of demons or the fear of the devil. And I'm thinking more about kind of like in um, like medieval England or something like that. Like it's it would be very easy to kind of cause a stir for people to be afraid of a certain woman or to ostracize her or to punish her in some way or maybe to harm her or to kill her by saying like, oh, what she's 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 sleeping with the devil or so. I mean, it sounds right. But at that time, at that time, like if you, it's weird to talk about now, although maybe not that weird, but like when you think about the way, the way in which people believed what they believed back then and the way that the, you know, social structures were formed, um, and the way that they were like kind of the way that power was held from certain people and given to other people. Um, it was really, it was mostly just, a hatred for the feminine
1: it's also just like power dynamics i'm thinking as you're talking about this so you're you're, when you're if you're practicing witchcraft you're taking spiritual autonomy as well and if you're looking at like histories of the catholic church and you know going back to um like uh martin luther Mm -hmm. like way back when and all of that history surrounding it like that's again like you're saying super Mm anti-authoritarian and then also i'm guessing like based in colonialism and racism as well. Yeah, so I was when you going to say at white supremacy
3: like, is a big part of that. Too. Alternative yes.
1: religious practices yes. of other cultures. Yep.
3: And where you go you go from um you know puritanical England or not Pur- Puritanical in like New England. So in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Where um when you look into like the um the witch trials, the amount of white women versus the amount of women of color who were either you know ostracized or killed and not because they were i mean who knows if they were actually practicing witchcraft but they were actually hanging on to the spiritual traditions um of their ancestors yeah. and that when you are in puritanical new england and you have these these colonizing beliefs um or you know basically the if you if you're a christian yeah if you're a christian and you are wanting to um uphold the supremacy of christendom then that's a threatening thing mm-hmm. for the um wasn't there wasn't it like was her name tituba I think in the Salem Witch trials? It's I really should know this. But basically there's this like whole big question of like, well was she actually practicing these things or was there a fear of her power as a woman of color. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah.
2: We're looking
1: okay. at Native American medicine mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. spirit and plant medicine and all that kind of thing. That's all gotta be interrelated too.
2: Well yeah. it's, that's that's so it's actually cool to hear when you're describing whether they were actually practicing or not, yeah. it was at any point when someone was doing something against the quote unquote norm or what everyone should be doing or that just they were being someone. or being yeah. someone that they're labeled a witch. Then kind of goes in line with what you're saying about how currently now everyone's practice is different. It's just mm-hmm. maybe going against something in some way for for that particular person, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Yeah, it's just it really is
3: um, there. There are all obviously these systems like capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, where when these um, systems that are trying to maintain power encounter individuals who are trying to tell the truth about who they are inside of those systems. Those systems are pretty much always not going to not only going to try and like punish you for that in one way or another, but also try and um, make you as absurd as possible as Mm -hmm. well um, or just try and make you evil in Mm -hmm. some way for just telling the truth about how, um, humanity shouldn't just be one thing. Like, that's like, that's the evil of like white supremacy, right? It's like the evil of whiteness saying like the, the only correct way to be a human, um, is to, is to be what, which white whiteness is a construct. It's like not even real, but that's why it's so evil is this like weird homogenization or this aim towards like homogenization,
1: which the is the best ways yeah. to be are the ways that are most like this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. or at least to get as close to it as you can. Like if you can get proximal to, yeah. So it's, it's definitely once you start kind of seeing like, um, these, systems are set up to maintain power in any way that they possibly can then you start to kind of look at all these things you were taught like about you know how um I mean it's everything I mean I don't know if you've ever uh read or listened to the people's history of the United States by Howard Zett. it's wild really They're like all this stuff I was taught in elementary school <laughs> yeah. about the pilgrims <laughs> and, the, and the Native Americans just enjoying their lovely meal with one another that's no. Oh, my Quite God. Quite the opposite, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy is just interested in in securing and maintaining its power. So yeah. it's going to lie
1: to you. Mm-hmm. And, and anything that's going to empower an individual, particularly an individual in a marginalized group, to be able to trust in their own power and yeah. their own body and yep. their own uh, ability to heal or teach yes. themselves or any of these other things is, like, that's a threat to that's the system of power. Absolutely,
2: it. Mm-hmm well speaking of something that is a threat to the system of power can we talk about sex now yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's do it okay so sex magic i know you briefly started to get into it but um yeah what is you're you're saying with sex magic that it's a practice so is it while you're having sex is this when you're with a partner is this during masturbation like explain this yes okay
3: (laughs) All all of it okay yeah um So any way in which you are able to, and I would say in whatever moment most desire to raise your sexual energy and then attach intention to that energy that you've just cultivated and raised in the direction of what it is that you want to manifest. Okay. You're practicing sex magic. So that can be with a partner. Um, I think probably best to tell your partner that that's what you want the intention of your sexual experience with them to be that you're like, Hey, I want to, this is this, I want this to be a sex magic experience rather than just like an opportunity for us to just connect with one another um for me i have pretty much exclusively just practiced it
1: by myself just masturbation okay yeah Mm -hmm. what what does that look like practically for you Mm -hmm. or what did that start to look like for you or how did you be able to recognize it as like sex magic versus just like good sex Mm -hmm.
3: yeah um well, I think that's something the more I learned about it and the more I followed um, other sex witches and followed other people who are doing this and learned about what their relationship is to their bodies, what their relationship is to their sexuality, how they use the practice, um, what it is that they most desire to manifest. Um, I think that has helped me um live and it's a it's a very alive practice for me. So it's it's kind of my relationship to it is constantly changing. Um and I really it's weird that I'm trying I have to think about this. I really I don't think I've ever practiced it with a partner before. I I don't know how I feel about that yet. Okay. Um yeah, it just feels I well also I'm very much the kind of person that with something is shaker is sacred, I don't like to share it. Okay. And so because it's so sacred, I'm like, I just want this to be mine. But I would venture to guess at some point, my body is probably going to lead me into some area of like vulnerability to be like, let's open this up and share it. Um, but I think it's what I didn't know is that for a very long time, I was intentionally cultivating my sexual energy while masturbating and bringing to mind what I desired to manifest in the world or, um, Want to, like I did? I didn't know I was already doing it, and then I found yeah. the language for. Hey, this is something that people do. This is like a practice that people um, cultivate. This is a um, a ritual that people engage in. And so then, when I kind of like had the language for this thing that my I had already been doing, then I got to be even more intentional about learning about it and trying to um, explore it. More in depth, and just experiment with it and play with it, and just see how my relationship to my own body, my relationship to my own desires, um, my relationship to what it is that I want to bring about and manifest in the world. Um, yeah, just getting to kind of explore and play. Once I knew what I was doing, and that sounds like kind of woo. Like I was always doing it, and I didn't know, but I really, like I really really was. And I don't mean like every single time I masturbated, it was a magical experience. Right, like right, that's right. not what I mean, but <laughs> yeah. like there were definitely, when I look back on my life, I'm like, oh, there are experiences that I had where there was an aspect of like mysticism or like, mm-hmm. um, I don't necessarily want to say leaving my body. Cause that's, mm-hmm. that's not really what happens, but something adjacent to a spiritual experience. Yeah. I didn't have an explanation for before.
2: I feel like when you're saying this and maybe I'm like speaking out of turn, but I feel like most people would probably have had at least an experience in their life when they were masturbating that you kind of felt like fall into some sort of meditative state. Like, I don't know if it starts just like the rhythm of it or whatever's Mm. happening rhythmically, or if you're focusing on something, I know that I've had, you know, numerous times when I've been masturbating that I find myself kind of in this, like, meditative, like, zened out situation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that I get. That, yeah. Like, I've definitely
1: been in the state, but I, I feel like I've been in the same state of, like, doing sports and being in that, where your head yeah. just gets in that, like, yes. zone. But
3: yes, exactly. Okay. okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. Because it's like you're in your body. It like I think anything that reminds mm-hmm. you that you are in your body.
1: Ah, that's nice. That clicked in yes, my
3: head. Yeah. That, and that's really what's interesting is like, that's really what I'm most passionate about. It's just for me personally, the reason why I practice sex magic is because sex is the thing that most puts me in my body.
4: Okay. Truly. Has my, it always
3: been that way for you? Yeah. And that's why the evangelical world was never going to cut it for me. Mm-hmm. Because I was like tapping into this thing that was so like capital G good for me, but I kept having to tell myself it was bad. And it was just, sex is the thing that has always brought me back to myself and reminded me that I belong to me. And there was just this, this constant, like, constant battle when I was trying to like be a good evangelical Christian that like, I would like I would, I would be in touch with myself and rem- and like remember my body and remember the goodness of my body and then have to like go to a worship service and then repent and cry <laughs> mm-hmm. and hate mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. what had just happened. But there was like this like little like kernel of truth that was like, but I don't hate it. And I could never resolve those things. Um, and so now I just, I realized I didn't have to, cause I could just leave that world that was requiring me to like self-flagellate for doing this thing that just always felt very correct for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Do
1: you think that's accessible uh for everyone to reach with sex? That's a
3: great question. Well, here's the thing. I think it can be, but I don't think it has to be. Yeah. Um because if you also think about like um so uh, sexuality and people's relationships to even like attraction or arousal is like quite the spectrum. Um, so what I wouldn't ever want someone to think who is asexual, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want them to, I wouldn't want someone to think that they are hearing me say like, this is something you should do. You should figure out how to have a different relationship to sexuality or to sexual arousal than the one that comes most naturally to you or the one that you know to be true about yourself. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's possible for everybody, but I don't think everybody needs to or has to or even needs to want to.
1: Yeah, I really like that because sometimes I think that um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to overcome religious trauma or like background stuff like that. And I'm like trying to achieve something that I'm missing out on Yeah, surrounding sex. And I think sometimes that I just need to tell myself, like, just don't worry about it. Like you don't yeah. have to, you don't have to get to the place where you're like upping it to the next level. That's and it. To, Like...
3: Well, and on some level, honestly, the shame attached to that pressure you're putting on yourself is actually kind of like shooting yourself in the foot in the first place. Of course. Because Mm -hmm. like sexuality and shame, like they just, they are, they're- yeah. they oppose one another. And so, and this is something that, so in, in the work that I do with my clients, I'm a sexuality and embodiment coach. And the whole paradigm I work in is reframing the experience and reality of embodiment through the language of relationship. So moving from objectifying pronoun for your body of it to he, she, or they, a personified mm-hmm. pronoun, what that does on a really deep level is it makes, it shifts your relationship to yourself from being a project that you have to work on and complete to a relationship that you're in with someone. And what we know about being in relationships with people is that there's nowhere to arrive arrive. You don't arrive somewhere where communication is no longer necessary. You don't get to a point in relationship with a person to where you're not constantly discovering not only new and beautiful things about them but points of conflict and tension and miscommunication always right. so forever <laughs> yes so with what you were just saying it's it's that is a, a I think a loop so many of us get stuck in when we leave our, our purity culture background or our sexually suppressed background we keep thinking there's something to achieve sexually in our relationship with ourselves and so we're making it into a project we're making it into this like oh I need I did this for so many years with myself and I, I still have to like be like you're a person I'm just with I'm not trying to make Make you do something or arrive somewhere because I think once we start thinking we have a responsibility to arrive somewhere we get mad at ourselves for not arriving there and mm-hmm. then shame comes back in and then we get hostile to our bodies and then we regret our background and all this stuff we couldn't control and for me at least and for many of the people I work with that creates this like shame spiral and then you go back into a state of dissociation
2: yeah so if you are just mm-hmm. thinking about
3: your body as a person to be with rather than like a project to complete it at the very least opens up this doorway of compassion and curiosity that might not have been there before.
1: Mm. Which is uh, such an important layer for people dealing with chronic illness or disability or just like recurring issues with their body. That's it. Because that feeling sometimes of like, my body is against me and my body is not on my side is such an awful experience. Yeah,
3: it is. And it also... um, I would never tell someone that isn't true in their felt sense. But what I would encourage someone, especially a client that I'm working with is again, stopping just long enough before arriving at that conclusion of my body hates me, my body's Mm -hmm. hostile to me, moving back just a little bit with compassion and curiosity and saying, what is it that my body could be trying to tell me? What information might my body have for me right now? And how can I give, and this is a phrase I use a lot. How can I give the most generous assumption? If I'm just assuming my body loves me and is kind to me, and wants me to know things that I need to know. How could that possibly change what's happening physically inside mm-hmm. of me right now? Because that's something we see from um, trauma researchers. We're like, oh, there trauma. There's a somatic experience to trauma. There's information that our bodies are holding on to that um they're trying to communicate to us right. about what has happened that has been impactful um in a way that has harmed us or maybe is unresolved our bodies will do things that we think just are unrelated to anything else or we just think our our bodies being mean to us or being unkind to us mm-hmm. because um capitalism says you should be productive all the time And all these systems that we have to exist in are telling us our bodies are machines that should just be functioning all the time. And yet our traumatized bodies are like, no, I have information for you about an area that we need to heal from. Mm. So I'm going to try and get your attention through somatic information. But when you're, when you are thinking of your body again, in this mechanized objectified way, you're just mad that your body isn't able to get out of bed every morning and perform the same way over and over and over. So we're missing these attempts at communication. Mm -hmm. So again, so much changes when you just
2: start thinking my body's a person who's trying to talk to me. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: Okay. We have to pause for one second and I'm so excited to talk about this next sponsor because it is truly the best gift that you can give someone in my humble opinion. I mean, I am a words of affirmation, love language type person. And this gift provides the words of affirmation with full amazing custom illustrations. It's called love book. Uh, Love books help customers express the sentiments that may be difficult to say out loud. Sometimes it might feel a little awkward to look at your mom in the face and truly express to her how much she means to you. Well, love book can help you do that and make sure you don't miss out on it any detail. Each book is completely customizable but most customers use them to list the reasons why they love someone and you can create the characters to look just like you and the recipient of the love book. Um, I'm talking down to the outfits and the accessories. It's so detailed it's super cute and it's really really fun to make. Um, Ember and I actually made one recently for my mom for Christmas and listen my mom does not show her emotions often and I saw some tears people. Score, yes, made my mom cry. Um, Also, I know that Becca recently made one for her mom. Um, Just know that you do have the option to personalize each page as much as you'd like, or if you're a little bit intimidated by the emotions or don't know how artistically intricate you'd like to go, they do have an express option that creates a complete book with just a few clicks. Love Books are the perfect gift for Valentine's Day too, and we know that that is coming up super soon. Love Book even offers a membership program now. You'll Save immediately on your purchase today, and you'll also receive fifty percent off any future purchases. And trust me, you're going to want to give this um, as a gift to numerous people because you will love their reaction because they will love it so much. Uh, love Book is not for yourself; it's always a gift. It is ideal for that special someone that really deserves a meaningful present. Visit lovebookonline.com/chatty to receive a special twenty percent discount only for our listeners. Yes our listeners. That's lovebookonline.com slash chatty to receive a special 20% discount. Well, like, so you wrote a book called You Are Your Own. And I know every time I'm trying to tell someone about the book, I literally always say, you are not your own. I mean, you are your own. I've done it too. I literally (laughs) said that once about my own. I was like, oh, that's not it. That's That's not not it. it. But it's like, because at least personally for me, it was associated with an authoritarian religious base that my, I, my natural instinct is to be like, no, my body is not my own. Mm -hmm. My body is a temple of God and whatever. And, but even if I feel like you're not, didn't have any traumatic, uh, religious experience, whatever that religion may be, just the society, you know, specifically, um, a lot of our listeners are women as a woman, you're told over and over again that your body is not your own. So the idea of in your book and what you're talking about with naming Mm -hmm. your body, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, no, you're mine and you have a name. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Feels like it would be. It's just so when you talk about it, it's just like that little thing. But even hearing you say it and like processing it, it's like, oh, that could be game changing for me, because how often do I think about something like um, like. My period, for instance, like uh-huh. I tend to get ovarian cysts, mm-hmm. right? And I just go, "Well, sucks." Thanks, Eve. Sucks to be a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Instead of listening yeah. to her mm-hmm. and saying, "Okay, this is something magical that you're doing. It's cre- you're you're. This is one of the ways that you can create life." Um, also, hey, why why are the ovarian cysts happening? Let's let's have a conversation let's talk about it mm-hmm. instead yep. of me just being like sucks
3: well and here's the thing like what i want to be careful about too is um i think sometimes this idea can move I- into some really um unhealthy ableism where i've i've encountered over the past few years like some some of this idea where people are like cool so when you if you have something going on in your body if you listen to your body and you get the information it'll disappear as if like that's the goal right that's still not even the goal uh because there's still that to me makes me feel like i'm holding my body hostage to being Mm. who i expect or want her to be which largely again is informed by like capitalism and patriarchy and so when I hear you talk about your experience with um, you know period pain and ovarian cysts, mm-hmm. what may not happen, which isn 't the goal to happen anyway, is that you slow down and you listen and then your ovarian cysts disappear but The benefit of what actually does happen is you slow down long enough to get curious about what your body needs from you. So instead of you shaming yourself or being hostile or unkind to yourself and pushing yourself past a point where your body's like, hey, I need to rest. I need to slow down. I need something different than what you're giving me right now. You slow down long enough because you care about that person you're in relationship with to at least give yourself the permission to give yourself something different.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying when you say what your body needs, you're not talking about like necessarily what your body needs to fix it.
3: That's it. 1,000%. 1,000%. So, yes,
1: that's different. Because even
3: fixing is a project-based, capitalist-based paradigm. Why would I feel the need to, like, fix, quote, fix my body into doing something? Is it because I feel like I'm, I only have worth and value if I'm productive? Mm -hmm. Because that's not true about human beings, but that's what capitalism wants us to think. So even that, that's why ableism and capitalism are super intertwined with one another because there's this idea that if you're not performing productively every single moment of every single day, you don't have worth and value as a human. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many layers to this. And what I'm mostly concerned about And with with the whole, let's change the language from it to he, she, they. The thing I care most about is that opens up this whole space of permission to at least begin to be kind to yourself in a way where you can gather more information from your body.
2: Mm.
1: I also think maybe like breaking free from... I mean, like, I may not identify as they in my identity as a person, but, Mm -hmm. like, my body may identify as they. Yeah. And, like, when you said that, it really (laughs) really resonated (laughs) with me where I was, like, I don't really think of, like, my body as she, Mm -hmm. but I think of myself as she. I don't have any problem with that. And that's, like, really can really, like, open up doors in just giving yourself grace in your relationship to, like, you're saying, like, that that other person.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like that. That's powerful, mm-hmm. and also like we don't try to fix our partner. Well, yes, we do. Uh,
3: <laughs> but should we? That's the but, question. But should we? Yeah. But yeah. The people,
1: when we're, we're in relationship with, like when you come into relationship with people mm-hmm. who have trauma, which most of us do in some way or another, or people that have backgrounds or come from broken homes, or like all these different things that we accumulate in our life. Generally, like if you have a partner or a friend, your goal isn't to like. It shouldn't be to fix them so that you guys get to a good place in a relationship. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. it's coming like you're talking about with dialogue and communication yes. and ebb and flow that's and it. grace. And so if you have that same relationship with your body, yep. like, like you said, it's not. Yeah, that really I think that's a good way of explaining it.
3: Yep. Yep. Somatic experiences become communication. And that changes everything about how it feels to be in your body when you are experiencing What's happening in your body physically as information and communication?
2: And did for you, when you started to do that, did you see a big change for you um, in your sexual experiences? Mm hmm. Uh well, I stopped being
3: so dissociated. Uh well not like overnight. It wasn't like immediately. Right. Um, yeah. I such yeah. better right and away. I'm totally yeah. in my body right away. so fast. <laughs> um yeah, I that is oh, that's such a good question. Um because I feel like when I stopped again, this is process-based language, not like in an event in a Mm -hmm. moment. But as I went on this journey with myself to center her personhood and to stop experiencing what was going on somatically as hostility from her to me and got curious and began to learn how to communicate. Um, I literally just was present in my body more often and having trauma in my background, both from religious trauma and then from my home growing up most of my life prior to the point where I was like, I think I want to start to get to know you to my body was just deeply dissociated. So Mm -hmm. the sex I was having was really dissociated, which is a funny thing because it was the most I could be in my body. Cause like I was saying before, I was like, Oh, it's what always brought me back to myself, but it's what brought me back to myself because I was so dissociated as a survival technique for so long. It was like good to be back in my body and also terrifying. Cause I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to live here. This is a scary place to be. And so sex would bring me like adjacent to being back in my body. And then I would have, this is what's funny. I would have like an emotional breakdown and then just assume it's because I Jesus was mad at me. You know, because like the, the narrative of purity culture right, serves right. the whole, you have sex, your life is going to fall apart. So no, that's not what was happening, but it was kind of working with that story I had been told about bad behavior like if you're sinning there's going to be consequences to your sin when really what was going on is I had so much trauma and I was living so dissociated that when I was having sex without actually facing the trauma dealing with the trauma wanting to heal from it my it was like the only time so using that personified language is the only time my body experienced me wanting to talk to her essentially she's mm-hmm. like I have all this stuff to tell you and it was just so overwhelming so once I started to relate to my body in this new way I definitely started relating to sex in a totally different way. And I felt both partnered sex and masturbation, honestly, particularly masturbation because there was this weird thing coming out of purity culture and being, you know, born a woman and socialized as a woman. And inside of that, like, you know, heteronormative idea of, well, your job is to get married to a man and then have sex with that man. And you're, you largely, you don't belong to yourself. And so largely your experience of sex is to be a conduit for his pleasure. Mm -hmm. When I was having sex with men, I didn't have all the guilt and shame, but when I was just having sex with myself, there was this like, oh, well, this is, this has less purpose according to the Paradigm I was brought up in. So I had like all, I would like shut down. I had like all this like rigidity in my body. And I, it was like much harder for me to reach orgasm and masturbation than it was in partnered sexual Mm. experiences with men because I would resist it more. Because I was like, I'm not allowed to just have pleasure. Mm -hmm. on my own Mm -hmm. that's not okay so I started working with myself and working with my body and like literally masturbating and speaking out loud to myself and communicating to myself like this is safe you are safe this is good you are good and I mean it took years and I'm still working I'm going to my sexological body worker tomorrow because I have certain like energetic lines that are shut down right now. Give me
1: their number. Oh,
3: (laughs) happily. She's going to start training me too, which is really, yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah. She's here. She's in LA. Her name is Ellen Heed. Everyone's in LA. (laughs) I know. Hopefully I will be soon-ish too. So yeah, my whole, I mean, my relationship to sex, which is what's funny. I think a lot of my clients that I work with because of my sex witch branding and I'm Mm -hmm. a sexuality and embodiment coach, a lot of people who find me to work with me, They want to talk about sex right away. Mm -hmm. And then they'll notice about two months into our time working together, we haven't talked about sex at all because we're talking about your relationship to your body, all these underlying formative areas that informed how you relate to your body now. And we're talking about things like pleasure, desire, wanting needing, like all of those things inform the way you live and move in your body. And sex is largely an expression of the relationship you have with your body and all these other areas. So it's really, it's been really fun to watch as people who came into the consultation with like, I need, these are the areas I want to work on in my, in my relationship to myself sexually. And then, you know, a few months in, they're like my relationship to my sexuality has just changed and we haven't really talked about it much here, but the way in which I'm relating to my body is different and that's, what's making all the difference.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I know for myself, I, um, I when it comes to sex and my body and like being in my body and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm 31. Like I'm not, I'm not 20. Mm-hmm. Been having sex for, for a hot minute. And I think about all the years that I had sex, even married. And my husband, my partner never put it on me. Mm-hmm. But because of how I was raised, there are so many times in my life that I, because I wasn't in tune at all with my body, and didn't acknowledge her right that I have like the, the countless amount of times that I had sex when I really wouldn't have wanted to yeah mm-hmm. and again he didn't put it on me I did it and I would I would proposition it because I'm like this is what I'm supposed to supposed be doing to. as a good wife mm-hmm. um but because I didn't allow my body to speak to me and be like no, no no you're Mm -hmm. you don't want this right now Mm -hmm. it's okay Mm -hmm. I put myself in those situations time and time again and then would convince myself if it would be too long that I would be a bad wife or you know woman or whatever so when you're talking about having a client and sitting down and talking about about it being like the sex switch Mm -hmm. thing (laughs) that you're not even talking about sex for a while and like oh I hear you Yeah, because I can imagine that if I would sit down with you and be having a session that we'd First and and foremost, get into all the shame that I carry. That's it. The expectations I put on myself and my body and also then body image issues and all this. Yeah, Before sex even.
1: Yeah, which I also really want to make the distinction too that I don't think this is limited at all to the evangelical upbringing. Because like our cultural expectations of what we, I mean, it it certainly adds a whole other layer, but the cultural expectations of like, your body's not your own in, right. in our culture or right. mm-hmm. like, and your body is a, whether or not you're raised in the Christian church is like a vessel for pleasure for other people and right. the way that our bodies are put in advertising and like, yep. and, right. and, you know, yep. all this other stuff. Or it's like, like
3: parts of our, it's not even our whole bodies usually. <laughs> no, it's about <laughs>
1: consumption. Yeah. Like of, of us, these things that are yeah. like dissociate. Like, I, I don't think it's any wonder that women, we experience so much dissociation and like yeah. dysmorphia and like, mm-hmm. I mean, all this has to do with like dieting culture and all that shit too. Yes. It, it's all intertwined, but yeah. like, it's no wonder that we're so like divorced from the, th- the things that carry us around yeah. in all of our experiences. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. Everything we do and everything that happens to us and that we happen to in the world happens through, like our bodies are there the whole time. And it's just it's such a fascinating thing to think about how long I lived pretending like she didn't exist. But everything I ever experienced, she experienced with me. It happened to her too. And so that's a thing as well when I'm when I'm working with my clients and they maybe hit a point of remembering something like maybe there was an opportunity where they heard their intuition or they heard the voice of their body say something to them and they or like like you're saying where there were times that I didn't want to have sex but then I just should it on myself and was like I should yeah. I'm supposed to and they begin to kind of um speak to themselves with like some like self-punishment and we have to slow that down too and be like hey your your body was there she knew what you were dealing with. Like he knows what you were taught when you were younger. Like they were there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Your body's not shaming you for surviving. Your body's not shaming you for living in the way that most of us were taught was the only acceptable option for living. So even then, there's this um, having to, to 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 switch our default from shame to compassion Uh, because like the moment we become aware that, Oh, I should have done something differently. Why didn't I do it differently? And then we think, then we assume again, our bodies are mad at us because we betrayed them. It's like, that's also still not what's happening. Your body was there. The whole time and has been there the whole time. Like my body knows that I heard some really shitty things in my evangelical upbringing. She mm-hmm. heard it too. Like, so it's just a very, again, this whole shift of if she's a person that I'm in relationship with, that I can continually speak to and hear from the entire currency of the way that I do embodiment is totally different Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: and like yeah you were saying becca too with with like the culture that we're around too it's like she saw however many times on a billboard what her body was supposed to look like or what color she should be or you know what like what her hair should look like or all these things and it's like yeah i know that's such a great way of putting it that she's or he or they were part of you for all those things yeah yeah. Because I do know, at least for me personally, as I've gone through like development and growth and trying to like break down some of those walls and be like, no, I'm I, I can do this now. There there is still that shame, like yeah. we were talking about earlier, that my body's not catching up fast enough, you know,
1: just thinking about generational trauma, too, and thinking mm-hmm. about like medical trauma and thinking about mm-hmm. yes. um, and then thinking about being black or brown. And like being in the United States and like the narratives of bodies and like the things that are done to people's bodies Mm -hmm. and throughout history, things that are done to people's bodies and or what and or or what the associations are when you're black or brown and your body looks like this, then what's done to you? I mean, all of that is like that's that's a lifetime of journeying through healing with, with your body that you're in relationship with.
2: And yes. speaking of what your body sh- should look like, um, or or what culture says, what's I have to? I oh, have I thought you have, were doing an no, ad segue. No, no I'm like, no, no. check out this ad.
4: Oh, I was no, like, no. how are you going to tie this into lookbook right now? now? No.
2: <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. I'm. I wanted to have this moment between the two of you because I know that um, you were kicked off Instagram. Yeah, and lost your Instagram, and you have had a lot of issues with things that you've posted and all that really
1: yeah i mean it's just the usual bullshit mm. you know like just bullshit stupid shit birth photos I was gonna and say shit bodies? like bodies. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. so why yeah. were you
2: why were you initially removed oh well they never they never really i mean they never
3: explained it to me they also just it just reappeared one day which the whole thing's insane but um it could go one of two ways. It could either be because of, um, photos I'd posted of myself and my body, or even just having the word sex in my profile. Like that's a thing, like a bunch of sex educators and other sex, witches, they have to, um, kind of type it weirdly where they like do because they're, I don't know if there's like a, they'd go through and they search just the word sex. And then I don't know, it's bizarre, but it was either because of body-based stuff or um, it happened right after I started posting about my book existing and, um, I have a few people who are under the impression that what happened was that my book was reported as being hate speech mm-hmm. because it targets, m- I think that's, I think that's more
1: likely. I think that's yeah. more likely mm-hmm. because I don't know I if do you, too. have you, I don't, are you familiar with Layla Saad? She wrote a book called yeah. me and white supremacy. Yeah. Yeah. Like her yeah. Instagram was being taken down because she was literally having Instagram posts saying like this space is only for black women yes. to comment under. Right. Yes. And so that's hate speech because it's oh, excluding serious? white people.
3: Oh, yeah. And oh so it's God. like yeah. this
1: is like deeper than I think it's deeper than like nipples and shit like that. Yes, it's it like, is. And yeah. especially when you're talking about like y- y- marginalized groups and like it's it's like actual silencing wow. yeah. by yep. this authority that yep. is the, the social media police. Mm-hmm. And it's like much more insidious than mm-hmm. it looks on the surface.
3: Yeah, it's re- it's it's rough. It's really rough.
1: Wow. So, okay. Yeah. Jeez. That's
3: actually the one that I, cause I was like, I was posting photos of my mostly naked body on my own Instagram for literal years and not all the time, but occasionally enough. And then within a month after I started mm-hmm. posting a book where the subtitle is a reckoning with the religious trauma of evangelical Christianity. And I didn't know that I still had all these people from my old church space is still either directly following me or just lurking you know you can see like who watches your stories right, 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 right. and i just like the amount of people that didn't still follow me. i'm like you guys are totally praying for me i know it but like <laughs> within a less than a month my account was just gone mm-hmm. and then uh, a couple months ago and someone from uh Who at the time worked for Out Magazine and was writing a story about um, like Bethel Church in Redding, California and how they're like promoting conversion therapy. And someone alerted him to uh, like via Twitter about how like someone just said something like, oh, Bethel can do this freely on Instagram, but Jamie writes a book about the harmful impact of that religion and then gets Mm -hmm. her account disabled. And so this person was like, can you tell me more about that? And we had an interview and Nico was his name. He reached out to Instagram for comment. And within like a week, my account just existed again. So he was like, I spooked, I think I spooked him so that I got it back. But so again, that lines up with this. I'm pretty sure it was more the hate speech one and not the the body is one, but I mean, but there's lots of accounts that are just disappearing all the time. And then there's of body lots of accounts that aren't, that aren't uh, disappearing. Nothing's yeah. <laughs> happening to them.
2: Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, talking about I hate speech. Largely like...
3: accounts of like, like white male heteros, like cis hetero white male photographers who weirdly oh, enough well, only photograph like thin cisgendered white women's bodies mm-hmm. and call it art well, and, no, and no a lot no of pubic hair yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that showing and out that so. just freely but anytime a woman of color posts a photo of her own body it gets reported as being mm. some sort of violation of the community stand- well like, there's even just guys. like
1: outright white supremacy like instagram oh, accounts yeah. like oh, yeah. all over oh, yeah. the place mm-hmm. yeah so
2: yeah so wild that
1: damn Mark all right, well, Zuckerberg
2: <laughs> Zuckerberg I see oh, you Zuckerberg. <laughs> um can we talk about some sponsors quick yeah, and yeah, then do yeah. some Q&A yeah amazing some great. of our uh listeners sent in some some uh great questions by the way your ads are I wanted to buy all these things now oh my these gosh really, use well, our coach chatty. I love but, it you know what listen I, we typically only uh go not typically we only choose people that we really like yeah so It's from the heart. Okay, so I'm ashamed to admit this, but for years and years of most of my life until literal weeks ago, um, I was guilty of using the makeup wipes to remove makeup or the towel and water on my face to scrub away oil or makeup. And this is really bad for your skin. Really bad. And I did it for so long. And now I'm attempting to make up for the years of doing this by using cleanser instead. And my favorite cleanser out there right now is Glossier's Milky Jelly Cleanser. Oh,
1: well, we all know and love Glossier, but you probably know them for popularizing the glowy, dewy skin look with their makeup. But Glossier believes beauty starts with skin first, makeup second. And their skincare products are incredible, especially the Milk Jelly Cleanser. And the Milk Jelly Cleanser is one of Glossier's top-selling products, actually, because people are obsessed. And in 2015, Glossier asked their community, what's your dream face wash? And they took the hundreds of responses they got as inspiration, and they went to work. And a year later, the milk jelly cleanser was created and released. Ugh,
2: and the reason it's my favorite is because it leaves your skin so soft and dewy after while removing all the excess oil and dirt and makeup. Most of the cleansers I've used in the past leave my skin feeling really dry, but the Milky Jelly Cleanser leaves my skin feeling so luxurious. Uh, The pH Balance formula has a blend of five skin conditioners. It's uh, dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, non-irritating, cruelty and paraben free. And it's tough on impurities, but gentle on your eyes. Um, And for those of you who tend to... To get the red eyes and irritated in the eyes quickly you know you hear me um and it's gentle everywhere else not to mention the packaging is gorgeous it looks so nice on your counter get
1: that glowy dewy skin for yourself by visiting glossier.com slash podcast slash chatty learn more and take the quiz to find your ultimate glossier skin care routine plus all new customers will get 10 percent off their first order on glossier.com slash podcast slash chatty Certain exclusions apply. That's let me spell it out for you because you know it's that fancy French so whatever. Fancy. I don't. Fucking, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. That's g l o s s i e r dot com slash podcast
2: slash chatty. And remember that's slash podcast slash chatty, not just slash chatty. Um, okay, so we've been talking a lot about sex, and I don't know about you, but there is one thing that I always want after sex: a cigarette. a martini, a cigarette and a snack, (laughs) a snack, of course, or a full blown meal, actually. But post coitus, I am not looking to spend 20 minutes preparing a gorgeous meal. I want something delicious quickly and our favorite quick solution to get healthy, delicious meals. full full of daily fruits and veggies is through daily harvest
1: daily harvest makes it easy to eat well they deliver thoughtfully sourced chef crafted food right to my door and everything can be prepared in five minutes or less some of it doesn't even need preparation Mm -hmm. daily harvest works directly with farmers to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and freezes them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it i love i got these freaking cacao nib bite that's what i was just
2: about to talk about they're crazy. They're so good. It's stupid how good they are. They're... Okay, by the way, there's not just the cacao ones.
1: I didn't get the other ones.
2: What's the other ones? They also have... um Oh, gosh, it's like a hazelnut, something. I don't know. There's like four different options. Cacao They're nib so and good. vanilla bites. That's no, it. That's that's... No, that, that's the one that I like. Yeah, God, there's so many, though. There's also so many different things besides the bites. There's 65 different options, like smoothies, hearty soups, harvest bowls, overnight oats. Um, but like Becca was saying, that new one, these bites, these cacao nib and vanilla bites, they taste just like chocolate chip cookie dough, except it's made with vanilla bean dates, flax seeds, uh, flax seeds nutty maca, uh, maca, pumpkin chickpeas. I'm obsessed. Obsessed.
1: Whether you're at home, at your desk, or on the go, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. Just go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code CHATTY to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code CHATTY for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. That's dailyharvest.com.
2: Love Daily Harvest. Love them. All right. Should we do some Q&A?
4: Hello, broads and lovely guest Broad. I am so happy that you're doing this episode because your girl needs some help. So I'm 26 and a virgin. I've never been a saving myself for marriage kind of girl. It's just never happened and now at this point I feel like I've missed my opportunity. I haven't had a relationship or have been on a date in about 7 years now and that's probably due to a total lack of confidence that I have in being a plus size woman and I do also have depression and anxiety mentally though I am so ready to date I love the person I am thanks to the help from my therapist but I struggle with loving my outward appearance every couple of months I download dating apps and can easily have conversations with guys but as soon as they want to meet up I completely ghost them because (laughs) I'm honestly terrified that when I would meet up with them They don't actually like what they see in person. I recently have followed a lot of plus-size bloggers on Instagram to maybe get some tips on self-love, but just can't see myself being as beautiful or as confident as they are. I think all of this is a lot harder because I am a virgin, and a lot of guys think that virgins get too attached after having sex for the first time. I'm not saying I need to marry the person I lose my virginity to, but I also don't want a random Tinder hookup. The topic of sex has never been talked about in my household growing up, so I've had to do a lot of my own research, so maybe that's why I've never been proactive in trying to have sex. Honestly, a lot of people that know me don't even know that I'm still a virgin, so I don't really have anyone to talk to about this kind of stuff with. Too many times I've had the conversation with myself that I may just need to be comfortable with the fact that I may never find someone, especially as I am seeing all these people around me getting engaged, married, having babies. I know I don't need a guy to make me happy or to help me love myself, but it would be nice to have someone to share my life with since I am such a hopeless romantic. I'm about to graduate from esthetician school next month, And I just feel hypocritical helping people love the way they look in their own skin when I don't even love the way I look in mine. Becca and Jess, I have listened to your podcast since Becca first announced it on her Instagram. So I'm an OG broad. (laughs) And see you two as the sisters I've never had. I strongly value what you two have to say. So I'm really hoping you and the guests can give me some perspective on my situation. Thanks. Love you guys. That was a sweet. First of all, love you. I'm (laughs) I'm getting all sorts of teary over here.
2: (laughs) Me too. Wow. Um, Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much for opening up and sending us those sweet words. Also, day oneer. I know day -er, oneer. OG broad for real. (sighs) All right. You want to. This, yeah, take it away. Yeah, I have two uh, two immediate thoughts. Um,
3: first one being, uh, and well, they both have to do with shame, of course. So, first one being, noticing the story she's telling herself about how it's the word she used was hypocritical that Mm -hmm. she's helping other people learn how to love the way that they look while she doesn't, while she feels like she doesn't. That doesn't strike me as hypocritical at all. That's so kind and so beautiful and so loving that i think most of us are moving through the world trying to give away the thing that we feel like we most need um and very often framing it as if we are hypocrites for doing so mm-hmm. when in reality like that's the most human thing in the world and that is that i i mean i don't lovely listener i don't know you but i'm like that's got to be one of the best things about you that you so you so want to make other people feel the way that you're having a hard time getting to to feel about yourself. So just that kind of first initial thought is just wanting to kind of like take that shame off your plate of that doesn't make you a hypocrite. That makes you an incredibly kind and selfless person. Um, And then the second thing also related to shame, I think it is interesting hearing you mention that the people you're in direct relationship with in your life don't know this big part of who you are. And what I'm not trying to say is like, it's a, it's it's a defining factor that you're a virgin, but, um, I'm, it's, it's important. I just think it's very interesting. Um, that you, I, and again, I, I, I don't get to know, I wish you were here and I was like having a conversation with you. I don't get to know why you haven't told people about this or told the people that you love and are in relationship with this thing about yourself. But I, I wonder how much more confident it could possibly make you to, to live and move through the world and feel to live and move through the world, particularly going on dates. If this kind of, um, I'm hiding this part of who I am from the people that I know the best. What If that wasn't the case, because I would venture to, so first of all, it's really not that weird being a virgin and being 26 years old. No. Um, it's not weird at all. Uh, number two, I mean, I would, I really can't imagine the people that you're in relationship with and that you love that would make you feel like that's weird either. And so I feel like a lot of times when we're hiding these things about who we are, we feel like we don't get to tell the truth about who we are. It becomes this like bigger thing that's controlling us. And I, I really wonder if that's something that's um, maybe not so obviously directly causing, but is it a component of why you'll get to a certain point in wanting to go on dates with people and then just like close the app and not show up and not go on dates. It's because if you're not feeling like you're being fully seen by your friends, I'm sure that's got to contribute to you feeling like you wouldn't be fully seen on a date with potential romantic partner so yeah. my first like encouragement would just be to start experimenting playing around with telling the truth about your whole self to the people that you already know and already love and maybe observe how that might change your relationship to
1: your attempts at dating mm. I also think maybe splitting away from this like culture expect cultural expectation of what it means to be a virgin too. And mm-hmm. I know she mentioned, you know, like guys think that's too much baggage, but all she also said she hasn't gone on a date for seven years. Yeah. So I'm like mm-hmm. Yeah. When was the not not like to put it on you, but to be like, you know, when was the last time you allowed yourself to be vulnerable and allowed someone to you know, uh, instead of projecting the expectation of how they're going to react, you might be surprised at someone... And you don't also... We talked about before. You don't really have to tell someone that you're a virgin. You don't. You don't.
3: Um, Not on a... No. Not on a date. No, not on a date.
2: (laughs) Well,
1: even... (laughs) I mean, remember we talked about it on the... bat When we were going over bachelor stuff Uh and we were like, well even if you're sleeping someone with someone, I don't have to tell someone I've slept Mm-mm. with X amount of people. No. No. Why do you yes. have to tell someone you slept with zero? zero. Exactly. Yes.
2: <laughs> no yes, not that's it. Not that's it. Yeah. And, my thing, and my thing too is, I know that um, you're saying that you are a hopeless romantic and you really want to be in a relationship with someone. And I don't think you necessarily have to tie that in with sex right now. Um, you, I think, are pro- it sounds like you're, Putting pressure, and maybe I'm hearing it wrong, but it sounds like you're putting your pressure, putting pressure on yourself, associating going on dates and dating someone with also having sex.
1: Yeah, or lo- losing your virginity. Yeah, losing your virginity. Like right. Capital and it's, letters.
2: And it's kind of like I, I would definitely, yeah, encourage then just to. Take it one step at a time and just go small goals. Like I'm just gonna
1: like get coffee with someone. And that's my goal for this month. Is to get coffee with a guy. Right.
2: Right. And like, like Jamie, like you're saying, if if you aren't maybe in a place where you aren't comfortable sharing these you know parts of yourself that you view as like bigger parts of yourself um with some friends maybe if you open up about those things with friends it'll give you a little bit of confidence boost because i'm sure that they're going to support you then the next time you're on a dating app with a guy and like you said you can talk to them very well and i can tell just by your message (laughs) that you're charming and you have no problem chatting that just taking it taking it there first you know just little steps
3: like so many of us are forgetting that like you get to date on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly as women, we are kind of are under this impression, this cultural impression that we just, it's our job to follow and not lead. Like if we go on a date with someone, like it's their job to set the tone or set kind of how the whole thing is going to go, their expectations. And we're just required to meet them. Like girl, no, like you get to set your own. I love the small goals thing. Like Mm -hmm. set your own expectation of I'm going to go on you know, three dates this month and it's just going to be coffee and Mm -hmm. that's going to be it. And then just see how you feel being in that space of dating someone and and experiencing their interest in you and experiencing your interest in them without any of that pressure of, I need to either build a long-term relationship out of this moment or expect to have sex with anyone out of this moment. Mm
1: -hmm. There's also a account I follow, I've talked about before, she's called the slum flower. And she always talks about like, set your expectations as high as you want.
2: Mm. Don't
1: don't like define your expectations by how you think you look and what you deserve based on that or any of that. She's like, no, if this guy isn't making X like her thing, she's like, if he's not making X amount of money, if he doesn't take me on this kind of date, if he doesn't say like, talk to me like this, then guess what? He's never getting a text or call back again. (laughs) And she's like, and then guess what? Our society tells us that those kind of expectations like make you a bitch, make you unreasonable. And she's like, why? I am the greatest gift I could give to anyone. Mm-hmm, so if mm-hmm. they don't meet every single expectation of mine, that's fine. I'd rather be single. And like that yeah. kind of attitude is really abrasive at yeah. first because we're conditioned to think that there's something wrong with that. Yes. That we should be sacrificing right. ourselves for the people or just that we're with. we can
2: get. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Settling yeah.
1: down because you don't want your biological yes. clock tick because your worth is in Ooh. whether or not you're going to get married and have children eventually and she's just like no and and she also I says like the thing is the higher i set my expectations and the more i stand with it she's like guys will be pounding down my door double <laughs> texting me triple texting me and she's like but i know my worth and so like i don't put up with any bullshit yeah. that i don't want to and
3: you save so much time you just and yeah. Yeah, guys, i'm energy. tired all the time yeah. i just don't,
2: yeah i so much time so much energy yeah yeah And then, Mm. and then in reference to her saying that she's following like a bunch of curvy girls Mm -hmm. on um, Instagram, which I think is awesome. Yes. Um, but that you don't feel like you're, you have like, you're not as beautiful or as confident as them. I would say two things. Number one, we're always like times 10, our own worst critic. It's just a fact. Yeah. Like you need to be like gentle with yourself. Second confidence is internal right don't look at their photos and assume that they're confident because instagram says one thing photos are one thing but like just confidence comes internally you are confident because you said that you can carry on a great conversation yeah you can hear in your voice that yeah. you're confident girlfriend you make people feel beautiful every day like with your work and your esthetician do you have many reasons to be confident so you already are yeah just Keep doing that.
1: And I think those external choices too, like choosing how you're gonna set boundaries, and interact with people, that like adds so much to your confidence too. Mm-hmm. When you're like, oh. yes. So
2: totally. Well, thanks for sending that. Yeah. I love that. I love an OG. I love an OG
0: broad. Um here. try. Hi broads. My name is Stacy. Um, I've been listening since almost the beginning, and I'm a huge fan um so much like you guys i was raised in a very conservative home um was i was taught to save my i hate the term save myself but to remain a virgin until um marriage so like a lot of people in that community i got married very young i was 18 years old um we We're both virgins on our wedding day. We even saved our first kiss until the altar on our (laughs) wedding day. So that was super awkward. Um, I have since um, moved away from those beliefs. Um, And I have also since gotten divorced within the last year. I'm almost 30 years old. And I've never been with anyone else. I've never kissed anyone else. I've never... I've I've had very little sexual experience, and I guess my question is: How do I gain the confidence, um, or how do I even know if I'm any good? I feel like my experience is so limited sexually um, that I just I don't even really know how to move forward um, because in my upbringing we weren't taught anything. Um, and obviously my partner and I figured things out, but, um, I I just feel like I lack a lot of experience that most 29 year olds would have. And as I enter the dating scene in the next little bit, um, I, I just, I lack a lot of confidence when it comes to that. So any tips or anything that you guys have to add towards that would be greatly appreciated. Love you guys. Okay. Such a, I mean,
3: similar theme Mm -hmm. that I hear, which is um, this idea, the story that both of these people are telling themselves is that other people have something figured out that I don't Mm -hmm. have figured out, um, which is just never true at all. But I think something that we do to ourselves as people all the time. Um, So when she said something to the effect of, uh, I feel like other 29-year-olds have something or experience that I don't have. And that's like what's causing it. Again, this is like shame based. This is this like pre-decided story that like I'm before I even go into the experience dating, I'm working at a deficit. And that's such performance based language that just like bums me. I do it too, but it like, Mm -hmm. it bums me out. Um, because she even said something too about, um, how do I know if I'm good? How do I know Mm -hmm. if I'm any good relating to like sexual performance? And again, that's like such a deeper story that um, dating and sex and connecting and partnerships and relationships are about performing adequately in in, in a sexual experience with a partner when um, actually – I mean, I'm not saying that's, there's a wrong way to do that, but like actually really an experience of, of sex and, and having a sexual experience with someone is about connecting with them and being present in a moment with them, um, in a, anything from a deeply intimate way to just like a playful way, um, doesn't have to be a long-term committed relationship for it to be connective, but it's definitely not performance based. Um, so I think there's just so much again, wrapped up in the same question as is with the other one of, um how can I, it's almost like that project-based language of how can I fix myself and make sure I can, uh, perform adequately before going into this vulnerable situation of going Mm. on dates. And it's like, no, you've got to actually kind of do the scarier thing and bring that with you. You have to just bring your whole self with you. And honestly too, uh, I know it's bleak out there, but like, don't go on dates with dudes that think that that's, bad about you like anyone who's going to disparage the fact that you're 26 and still a virgin or you're 29 and have only been with one partner don't date that guy Mm -hmm. holy shit don't date that guy don't ever talk to
1: him again yeah
3: (laughs) and it might take you a while to find someone Mm -hmm. who doesn't uh Act that way towards you, but that's worth finding Yes, because there, I mean, anyone who's going to disparage your life experience and then relate that to, oh, well, I can't be sure that you're going to be performing adequately in in our sexual connection, like super fucked. That's so unsafe. Mm -hmm. So for sure don't date those people. But uh, like, I just think there's so much of this underlying story of there's something wrong with me because I quote, did it wrong. Mm -hmm. That is just so unhelpful when we're trying to enter into like a new life phase.
1: I think there's this idea too, Mm -hmm. of like the other people have it figured out and we always fall into that trap. I know. But also there's no reason why like, Being with one person, you could gain more quote experience Mm -hmm. if we're going to weigh it that way than like someone who hasn't been in a, I mean, my, my boyfriend now had was third 29 when we met and hasn't, hadn't had a single committed relationship longer than three months. So he's like, actually like you're younger than me and I've had more committed relationships. Like you've probably had way more sex with like four people than I have with like Mm
3: -hmm. 60. That is So incredibly true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And also the type of sex. So if you think about, I... I've only had one long-term relationship and it was a really unsafe one so that I didn't really feel safe to communicate a lot of mm-hmm. my own needs and desires in that. And then I also, most of the sex, I've had a lot of sex, but I've had a lot of sex with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But for most of those people, I didn't have a um, like enough of a foundation of mm-hmm. communication to be able to really communicate about what I wanted. Or we had sex a couple of times and then didn't have sex again. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. it's this, for some reason, we're, we're we're framing experience only in quantity rather than like longevity no, like well like mm-hmm. I'd way person. rather
1: be with a guy who's <laughs> yeah. been married for 7 years to one woman to be honest than a <laughs> yes. guy that slept with 75 women women over the course of 10 years. Like speaking from experience, it's yes. actually a lot of unlearning. Like yeah. for I mean, it's just it's, it's all different. It's, it's, all different, different. Yeah. it's all different, but it's all different, but it it can, you know, it's just Yeah, it's different and you have something to offer with your own experience whether that's nothing or a a lot All experience is experience Also, and it's just like if
2: your experience is nothing then that's like a type of experience that a sexual partner gets to have with you That's That's
4: awesome Or
2: if you've had sex with thousands of people then that's a sexual experience that your partner gets to have with you Like there's not, I think especially as women I feel like we have this like burden of I have to perform Like Mm -hmm. and Um, her saying that she was from the evangelical community. I know I've said this before on the podcast and I've literally seen people like in our comments be like, I've never heard of that. That's not true. I'm telling you for a fact. Believe me or not. But I was... Taken on many little retreats and talked to a lot talked to by a lot of older Christian women that were like, You better be a tigress in the bedroom. Yes. And it was yes. very, very pushed on me to be very like lingerie, very yep. sexy over the top. That yep. was that
1: was a very good <laughs> I didn't get that <laughs> either, yeah. but I had a pastor say, like, if he's getting butter at home, he's not gonna go out looking for margarine. Well, well that's the thing that's is if you're thing.
3: sexy enough and you're you are you're putting out, him and he won't cheat on you. Right. And that if was, that'll be
2: your fault you guys <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Exactly. Yeah. You mm-hmm. put it on the woman, that yeah. it's he He cheated on you because you weren't having enough sex with him or wasn't sexy enough
3: we can't be too sexual to stoke desire in a man that isn't our husband
2: right so that's the whole you can't fucking you can't win win. you can't win so so this this woman is coming from the situation where you seem to be putting a lot of pressure on yourself that you know might have been learned um that you have to perform a certain way and my thing is if you are getting into to bed with anyone They are lucky to be in bed with you. This Mm -hmm. is an experience for them pressure on it's yourself a, to perform it's a discovery though that's yeah. exciting yeah, that's yeah.
1: Exciting. i mean like Word
2: that's mm-hmm.
1: I, I sometimes fantasize about like what would it be like to be in like the 1400s <laughs> and to have never seen a sexual image and have no knowledge and to experience a <laughs> sexual
3: pick the 1400s
1: <laughs> i went as far back as <laughs> i could kind of think and i'm and, like to experience a sexual experience for the first time with yeah. no yeah. expectations yeah. yep mm-hmm. yep that's so in-pure. so much wonder
3: and mystery mm-hmm. and excitement and playfulness yes. that at this point we're we're very fascinatingly concerned with if we're like doing sex the right way. Like I think so many of us are mm. are focused on having the sex we think we should be having, and mm-hmm. we're missing the opportunity to just have the sex we want to have,
2: yeah. right? Yeah. And I I feel like personally for me, when I have had sex with different partners um, or different people, that I have enjoyed. I walk away always enjoying the person who is more excited to have sex with me than the person who's maybe quote unquote, you know, Coy an about acrobat, it. an <laughs> acrobat, and like tossing me. All, it's just like yeah, no, like no. I just did this yesterday, right. So right. It's like, Or someone who's like looks a certain way. It's yeah. literally been the people who are just there with yeah. me yeah. and excited about the yeah. experience yeah. and enjoying me in the moment. Also, that could be yeah. so That's hot. It. Being like,
1: I don't know what I'm doing. It
2: is, yeah. This <laughs> hot yes, because it's vulnerable. I'd love it's that. So like, I, I've never
1: had sex with a guy before that had never had sex with anyone, and I would love that experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not? Like, I,
3: the idea. Something about with you saying that, like, you know that energy you can feel from someone when you're about to have sex with them, or you are, and you can feel that they're performing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does not,
1: or you can feel, feel it in good. yourself.
3: Yes. Oh, mm. yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so, like, all more power to someone who just shows up and is like. I don't know what I'm doing here. And I hope that's safe to say. And again, if you are about to enter into a sexual experience with someone who makes you feel like that's unsafe to say, don't fuck that person. Mm-mm. Don't
1: do it.
2: Run. <laughs> no, no, no. That's or just...
1: even like, I don't know what I, that's a good place to be into. I don't know what I like. So yeah. like, let's fi- let's, let's can figure we out Try together. different oh, things. Oh gosh, you're
2: making me all hot See? thinking about it. <laughs>
1: it's just, I mean, there's so many, like, it's just, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
2: like, it's supposed to be, a fun thing and so often it's not it's so sad I know it is it is it's something that we put just oh so much pressure
1: and I don't think it's something that just people deal with who haven't had sex like I mean even the other day something was off and then Grayson was just like why was our sex like that that was really weird (laughs) And I was like, I don't know, was really weird. And we were both like really perplexed. And it was like, well, maybe we were just both having like an off to yeah. a day and we weren't, mm-hmm. we both weren't in our bodies for whatever reason. Yeah. And we were like exhausted and like, we didn't have to make it work in that moment. It can just be like, mm-hmm. okay, no, it's just.
3: Maybe it's okay that not every single sexual experience I ever have with my partner is like. Perfect. Yeah. Maybe
2: Fireworks everywhere. <laughs> Maybe yeah. being
1: able to communicate to someone and be like, this isn't doing it, and the other person yeah. be like, Yeah, I could sense that. That's like so much better. Like in some ways, that's so much more satisfying mm-hmm. than yes. even have satis- satisfying sex, having someone to even be yeah. able to recognize and be that's like truly And hey, you seem yeah. off Yeah,
2: yes. Well, I've yeah, I've so my husband is very like picks up on emotional energy in the mm. bedroom like a lot. And so we have had to get to a point where I will tell him, listen, because if he can tell if my 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 head is somewhere else Mm. or I'm not in my body, but I'm still down to have sex because I want it because it feels good right now. Yeah. Right. But I still want to do it that he's like then like, oh, something's wrong. Why are you not there? And wants this like intense emotional intimacy every time where I've gotten to a point where before we have sex, um, if I'm not there, I'm like, you need to allow me to tell you just so you know, I'm not emotionally there right now. So if you want to have sex right now, sounds great to me but we don't have that goodness, expectation but, lazy, but it's yeah. not going to be sexy passionate sex it's going to be like let's make each other's bodies feel good for a hot mm-hmm. second yes. sex and i'm telling fine. you ahead
3: of time the way that i'm going to be showing up right, to this experience right. and, and i hope that's fine with you like right. you get to consent to that but this is this is what i have to give you and it's worked right out
2: now. great because sometimes he's learned that sometimes he just wants to say no because he's like no i it's going to hurt my feelings cuz i feel like yeah Maybe I won't feel connected with you. I want to feel emotionally connected. So then I'm like, hey, what's going to make me feel emotionally connected right now is having a glass of wine and eating dinner together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's do that Mm -hmm. instead. Oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. But that was a lot of (laughs) Of (laughs) Of being married for like eight years, (laughs) a lot of this,
3: (laughs) which again, this goes back to like the whole, like, fuck that paradigm that says that that's not experience. Mm -hmm. Like that is deep experience of learning like emotional intelligence and like clear Uh, thorough communication with a partner, which this person that, you know, I almost said wrote in that question, spoke in that Mm -hmm. question was married for, I mean, she said she got married young and I was almost 30 and got divorced. So there's going to be maybe close to a a decade, maybe seven, eight years of, uh, lived experience with a partner where I guarantee can't guarantee. I would venture to guess communication, powerful communication like that Mm -hmm. happened in her former relationship. Mm -hmm. That's remarkable experience. That's remarkable, partnered, intimate experience that again, it's weird that we're framing the idea of experience sexually is just how many people yeah. you've had sex with. Right. When I hear you tell that story and I'm like, that is so much more I don't want to say more valuable but that's a level of value that I wish that we cared about more when we were talking about our relationship to sex with partners mm. also maybe
1: she didn't have that experience because they're divorced yes like it's is <laughs> then but now she that's knows what what now, can but now, but exactly yes. and then she can mm-hmm. be like I'm not going to hold, I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard yeah. than someone mm-hmm. that doesn't value communication yes. like my last partner that's great like,
2: yep mm-hmm. boom girl you go out there don't 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 perform. Also, like I Mm.
1: I hate that I'm feeding into stereotypes right now, but I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Like if you're showing up and you're like being present in your body, no man fucking cares. Like, don't like am I good? Yes, I can guarantee you are. (laughs) Like, you're gonna kill it. That's that is (laughs) like seriously. It is a very valid stereotype.
2: I'm really fine. I've
3: never heard from any no man that I have either had a sexual experience with or just some friends with in relationship with in any capacity. Who's told me anything other
1: than that.
2: Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's correct. really,
1: yeah. you know, and even if somebody might critique something, would they have sex with that person again? Almost always. Probably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but now I know whether or not I want to have sex exactly. with you again. And yeah.
3: Chances are, it's probably going to be a no. Mm-hmm. If you are being a dick to me about my ability to perform in this situation, to take my gift elsewhere well, men
1: fuck like couches and like inanimate <laughs> objects
2: Cantaloupes. yes they very fruit. Fruit. they've warmed yeah. those things up we've seen that oh yeah have you guys heard that Pies? quote
1: of adriana lima and she was like yes at first i was like flattered by men wanting to have sex with me and then i remembered that men will have sex with cheeseburgers and then i didn't take <laughs> it so she's like and then i didn't take it so seriously <laughs> i was like yeah that's amazing
2: <laughs> that's Honestly, the the levity of that, I'm oh, having I a know. hard time with in this moment. I'm I like, oh cool boy,
3: how much of my own life have I like rearranged, <laughs> oh, gosh. moved to be like, maybe this person will want to. Of course, no, they want to fuck do. you. <laughs> of course, they do. Of, of course, they want to put your penis. Their of course, penis they want to put their you. dick in something. <laughs> of course, if I'm offering myself as the, <laughs> That's <something>. the best <laughs> option, like re- like the the weirdest cultural story that I think that oh. we have somehow. Signed on to believe is that like it's like women who are like trying to convince the men to be with them. Oh like, my god, I don't that's not really how this is working.
1: And also, maybe she's gonna go dating women too. Women are generally to use stereotypes that I have found to be true, very like gracious in their relationships, mm-hmm. like with other women, generally yeah. speaking. If they're a good yes. person, and yes. like, I don't think you have anything to worry about, girl. I really don't. You're,
3: You're, not. You're a great communicator, okay. yeah.
2: i'm <laughs> lovely. You're going to go but get it, Stacey. in bed. Go get it, Stacey. You're going to slam it. Well, oh, Jamie Lee, thank you so much for yeah, coming. This is it was awesome. so fun. It so wonderful chat to chat with you. Okay, give us all the info where our listeners can find you. Mm-hmm. Have one-on-ones. What, what do yes. you do? Tell us. <clears throat> um, okay,
3: so I, well, by the time this airs, I may have reactivated my Twitter.
2: Uh,
3: right now, I deactivated it a couple weeks, so I just needed a break because it's, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but it's pretty wild I can't there. do it oh, I can't gosh. do it no it's bad mm-hmm. which the irony is I used to love it so much I literally dedicated my book to Twitter and then it just everything changed in a year we it's can talk a, about that later it's, it's
1: a dark place it's a dark
3: mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. and when I really needed an enemy it worked better for me than mm. it does now because I don't need one anymore um so
1: powerful yes mm-hmm.
3: if I am back on Twitter you can find me there at Jamie Lee Finch um I am back on Instagram I've, clearly social media and I've had some <laughs> ups and downs but um my old account did get restored, but I don't use it anymore. Um, so on Instagram, I'm at, I am Jamie Lee Finch. Um, my website, Jamie um, from that page, you can navigate to all different places, like signing up to, uh, put your name on my wait list to work with me one-on-one coaching. Um, there will be a kind of a newsletter space on there soon to stay informed about when I release an online course actually to enroll in this Amazing. kind of like changing your relationship to your body from objectification to personification working on that right now um and then also you can there's when you go to my website you can easily navigate to the place to buy my book um in various different forms so yeah pretty Amazing. much all
2: if you just google jamie lee finch you'll find all this and for you broads it's all in the episode notes there we'll leave it all there <laughs> well thank you so much you. i can't wait to con- uh, start referring to my body as she Yay. or they whether i see fit and uh yeah we appreciate you All right, brads, chat soon, chat soon.